You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 48 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. It's another solo show this month, um, just a little old me talking to you, but I have something very fun lined up for next month that I'll be recording uh, shortly, weekend after next. So uh, I'll just leave that as a teaser, actually, but it, it should be good fun and something a little bit different to what we've done the last uh, while on this show. Anyway, without further ado, let's just get stuck in and say that this month's topic is exposure. That sounds like it should be quite a simple topic, but actually, things get really quite complicated. Now, I think a big part of the reason things get complicated is that photographers actually misuse the word exposure pretty much all of the time. So let's let's actually start with the true definition of what exposure actually is. So scientifically speaking... Dictionary speaking, whatever way you want to put it, factually, the definition of exposure is the amount of light that strikes a unit area. So in photography, what that means is it's the absolute amount of light that strikes each part of a piece of film or a sensor when capturing an image. And it's measured in lux seconds. Now... So basically, it's the cumulative amount of light that strikes any particular area on your film or your sensor. So the exposure is determined by how much light there is actually in front of the camera. So if you're in a dark room, there's obviously less light than if you're in a bright room. So that's going to have an effect on the exposure. Um, the size of the opening through which the light has to pass in order to reach the film, in other words, your aperture setting, is going to affect how mu- the exposure. And then the length of time you let that light accumulate on the film or the sensor is obviously also going to affect the exposure. So your exposure is just the total amount of light per unit area that's striking your sensor. Now note it's per unit area, which means that one thing that doesn't change the exposure is the size of the sensor. So how much light there is in the scene, the aperture and the exposure time are what determine the exposure um, and it is, it's a per unit area measure because luxes are luminous flux per unit area. So lux seconds is luminous flux per unit area per second. Now, the brightness of each point on the final image is determined by something else. So if you have a given exposure, so a given number of lux seconds, uh Different sensitivities of film will produce different output images. So a less sensitive film will make a darker image given the same exposure. And a more sensitive film will give a bright, a brighter image given the same exposure. So when you think about it in terms of a finished product of an image, the brightness of each point on your finished image is determined by four things. The illumination of the scene... Cameras are aper- the camera's aperture setting, the camera's shutter speed setting, and the sensitivity of the film. Or you could say it's determined by the exposure and the sensitivity of the film. Now, the confusion comes in because when we use the word exposure as photographers in our day-to-day conversations, uh, 
we don't mean exposure. We mean exposure time, but we're too lazy to say exposure time, so we just call it exposure. So when we say an exposure of five seconds, that's an exposure time of five seconds, because exposure is actually measured in lux seconds, and we most certainly don't mean lux seconds. We mean exposure time. So 99.99% of the time when a photographer talks about exposure, they mean exposure time. Now, so we never see these lux seconds. So actually, in the real world, us photographers never actually deal in exposure. But we kind of do. And the reason I say kind of is because what we actually choose to use because it makes the practical act of photographing easier is we use something very much related to exposure called exposure value, which is measured in a unit you absolutely have seen all over your camera, the EV. So exposure value, which is measured in EV. Okay, so what is one of these exposure value contraptions? Well, by definition, mathematically, your exposure value is actually calculated by combining together your aperture setting and your exposure time setting. And the exact mathematical rule is a little bit complicated. You don't just multiply them together. The exact mathematical rule is that the EV is the determined by taking the log to base 2 of the aperture as a focal ratio squared divided by the exposure time in seconds. That sounds complicated, but really not all that important. What matters is that an EV is a single unit that combines together exposure time and aperture into one number. By definition, an exposure time of one second through an f 1.0 lens will give you an EV of zero. Not of one, of zero. So the base point of the EV scale is an f1 lens for one second, and that's an EV of zero. Now, because you have this log to base two carry on, and because you're dividing by the time, you end up with a sort of an inverse logarithmic scale. So when you have the exposure time, but you keep everything else the same. So you just have the exposure time. You increase your EV by exactly one. So one step up in EV is a halving of the exposure time. So that means that higher EVs mean darker photos, which is inverted from what we would expect. But nonetheless, that's how the scale is. And it does explain some pluses and minuses on the interface of your camera that never quite go the way you expect. Okay, so the EV goes by another name very, very commonly. We use it all the time when talking colloquially in photography. One EV is a stop. Whenever someone says, oh, brighten that by a stop, darken that by a stop, oh, I'd overexpose that by about half a stop, a stop is an EV. So these EVs are absolutely everywhere. Now, we we already have this concept of an EV, but you can do... A small amount of mathematical juggling around, basically algebra, you know, shifts around a few things, multiply a few things, whatever. And you can use the EV as a representation of pretty much anything to do with light, if you do just a little bit of, as I say, a bit of algebra to make it so. So you can use EV to measure exposure time. You can use EV to measure aperture. And you can use EV to measure sensitivity. 
Now, you may say that sounds like a strange thing because I've picked up my camera and my shutter time is very clearly measured in seconds or fractions thereof. My aperture is very obviously measured in F numbers or focal ratios. And my sensitivity is very much measured in ISOs. So what are you talking about, Bart? Well, yes, they are. At least that's why the dials are labelled. But they're also very, very much controlled by the EV because, and I do mean controlled literally, every time you click that dial, the number jumps in what initially seems like a really odd sequence. Let's take exposure time as an example. Start at 1 over 100, and you click the dial once, and you get 1 over 125. You click the dial again, you get 1 over 160. Click it again, you get 1 over 200. 1 over 250. 1 over 320. 1 over 400. 1 over 500. 1 over 640. And then 1 over 800. What? What's the pattern there? It's not immediately obvious. It's a pretty weird looking sequence. But if you only look at every third number, something much more obvious comes out. Every third number gives you 1 over 100, 1 over 200, 1 over 400, 1 over 800. The next one would be 1 over 1600, 1 over 3200. Having of exposure times. Every time you have the exposure time, you increase the EV by 1. Oh, three clicks on the dial is 1 EV. So every click on the dial of the exposure in your camera is a change of one-third of an EV. Huh. Now, switch over to the aperture dial, which is measured in F numbers. You go from F5 to F5.6 to F6.3 to F7.1. They're awfully funny numbers as well. Well, that would be because three clicks of that dial is equivalent to one EV. So both exposure and aperture are displayed as F numbers and seconds, but are adjusted in steps of one third of an EV. So three clicks is one EV. It probably won't come as a shock to you that the reason that your ISO numbers go up in funny increments as well is because your ISO numbers are also going up in clicks equivalent to one third of an EV. So while everything is displayed as seconds, F numbers, and ISOs, everything is controlled, everything is adjusted in EV or stops. Now, from a practical point of view, the fact that your camera allows you to control your three most important settings, those three settings which together are so important we tend to refer to them as the exposure triangle, the fact that we can control all three of them in increments of exactly the same size is extremely powerful. Because for every desired output brightness, let's say you have a physical thing you want to photograph and you have what you consider to be a correct exposure. Well, for every... If you don't change the world and you don't change what you consider correct, there are lots of different variations of the three settings that will give you the same output from the same input. So any of those combinations of settings have the same EV as each other. And well, given the fact that all... So if you have a setting, it has a specific EV, every other equivalent setting will have the same EV. 
So that means if you increase the exposure by one third of an EV, so one click, you can get back to the same looking picture in terms of brightness levels by adjusting either the ISO or the shutter, or sorry, or the aperture in the opposite direction. Because they're also steps of one third of an EV. So if you have the right exposure, but when you take the picture, it's artistically wrong because it's too noisy because your ISO is too high, or the exposure was too long so it's all blurry, or the exposure was too short because you actually wanted some blur, or the depth of field isn't what you want because the F number isn't what you want, you can adjust whichever one you need to adjust for artistic reasons, and you can compensate using the other two, and you know that one click on any dial is equivalent to one click on any other dial. That is amazingly powerful. If I click one of these, I can account for it by clicking the other by the same amount of clicks. Two clicks one way, two clicks the other way. Maybe I increase my shutter speed by two clicks, then I can take one click of ISO and one click of aperture. It's all equivalent. So every click, regardless of which of those three settings it is, which of the exposure triangle you adjust, you can compensate for it by adjusting any of the others by the same amount of clicks. That is, that's just great design, that's great engineering. And that's made possible by this concept of the EV. Now, if you look closely enough at your camera's interface, you will notice it actually does explicitly mention EV in some places. Whenever your camera needs to communicate a relative change in the brightness of the output image, it will use EV to communicate that change to you. Because again, the EV is equivalent to a... One EV is equivalent to three clicks and any of the three most important dials in your camera and any of the three sides of the exposure triangle. So communicating relative changes to you in EV makes a lot of sense. So what do I mean by relative changes? Well, the most obvious one is the exposure compensation dial, which is used to brighten or darken an image by a certain amount. Well, that is measured in EV. So that's the place you'll see EV. You'll see plus one EV, plus 0.3 EV, minus one EV, minus three EV, whatever. And again, remember, the scale is inverted, so plus 1 EV means darker, not brighter. That really confuses people, because plus 1 EV should surely mean a brighter image. But it doesn't, it means a darker image, and that makes people's head explode. That's because 1 EV is darker than 0 EV. Weird scale, but there we go. And you will also see it if you plop your camera into full manual mode, and you look through the viewfinder, imagine digital camera or indeed old film cameras will have like some sort of needle-like device which is pointing at a scale and that scale tell, shows you how far off you are from what the camera thinks is probably a correct exposure and if you look at the numbers on that scale they are also in EV so if the little arrow is pointing at minus one EV then you need to change your settings by three clicks on any of the dials to get that up to zero to get that to what the camera thinks is a correct exposure. Now, you may decide the camera is wrong and intentionally leave it under or overexposed by one EV or one stop. But again, the notches on that scale that you're using to make that decision are measured in EV. So our friend the EV shows up yet again. Okay, so that's, that's all I want to burden your brains with because, to be honest, although this isn't a long show, I think we've covered quite a bit. So just to summarize, I guess... So the key points are that any desired exposure can be achieved with many different combinations of the three important settings of the exposure triangle, but all such combinations that give the same output are said to have the same EV, or rather they do have the same EV by definition. An EV is a 
stop. So when someone talks to you about brightening it by a third of a stop, what they mean is brightening it by a third of an EV. Our cameras adjust everything. Well, certainly everything in terms of brightness in units of one third of an EV. So whichever leg of the exposure triangle you're messing with, you're adjusting, the clicks each time you tick a setting, it's one third of an EV that you're ticking it in. That goes for all three of the settings. And our cameras, when they need to communicate relative brightnesses to us, will use the EV to do that communication with us. So that's that's kind of it. So that's from exposure to... So exposure is the thing we pretty much don't use to exposure value, which is the thing we use all of the time, even though we generally call it a stop. Um, I guess I'll finish with just a piece of trivia. Why do we call an EV a stop? Well, the reason is because nowadays we have the luxury of an internal mechanism within our lenses which can be used to adjust the physical size of the hole the light comes through, which we refer to as the aperture. And if you've ever looked sort of through a camera lens, you will notice these intricately shaped blades which can come in and out to give you a bigger or a smaller approximate circle of light that gets through into the lens. And it's always centered on the middle. And fancier lenses will have a more circular-looking aperture blades. And cheaper lenses will have more blocky-looking aperture blades. And actually, if you do a sunburst, the amount of spikes you get in your sunburst is exactly related to the shape of those aperture blades. But anyway, we have the luxury that we have these aperture blades inside our lenses. So we adjust a little dial, and those blades shift to the appropriate size and the appropriate amount of light gets let in. But originally, we didn't have such complicated mechanisms. What you instead had were physical washer-shaped things that fit inside each other, that sat into the front of the lens. And if you wanted to block light, then you put you start off by putting in, say, the biggest ring you had. And that was one stop. Oh, I need to block more light. Okay, put in the next smallest ring inside that bigger ring. Now you have two stops. You're stopping twice as much of the light. And so on and so forth. So the stops were physical washer-shaped devices concentrically fit inside each other. And you would stop down a lens by physically putting these blockages into the front of the lens. But nowadays it's all entirely internal into the lens. So we don't remember why we call them f-stops or stops. But that is why we call them stops. And each one of those physical pieces was one EV of difference. So it was one stop. Now... In those days, they only had a control of one stop, so they didn't have this concept of sub-stop control. So we have the added, added luxury that not only can we control it all just by twiddling a knob or pushing a button, but we actually get the controller in steps one-third as accurate as initially it was possible. So initially you would have units of stops, now we have units of one-third of a stop. And there was a time when we had half stops, which is not yet as good, but as I say, one-third of a stop is where we are these days. Okay, I'm going to draw a line under it here, even though it is a short show, because I think I think I've covered enough. And ironically, this is the show that's taken me the least amount of time to record and the most amount of time to prepare for, which is a bit strange. That's, I literally spent hours today researching this, getting it all straight in my head. Uh, so it's been the most difficult to prepare, the shortest to record. I have assembled my research into crib notes, I guess, the best describe them. They're not quite 
they don't read quite like a you know like an article but they're not a bullet list either they're somewhere in between they're just sentences and so i'm gonna publish those notes over at lets-talk.ie as the show notes for this episode so they're, they're sort of like a good set of reminder notes to bring back to mind what i talked about i guess while you happen to be over there there's large blue buttons under the heading support the show which are unsurprisingly means by which you can support the show so there is the patreon button so patreon is the single most efficient way to financially support the show you make a small dollar pledge per episode i put out it'll be exactly two per month one apple one photography so if you would like to donate five dollars a month pledge two dollars fifty per episode because that's how it'll work out uh basically patreon collect all of those little donations together from you and so if you support five podcasts it's one payment from you so the paypal fees get divided between five collections and then when patreon do their payouts they pay all the money out to each producer as one lump sum so what you end up doing is you end up having small dollar amounts without paypal taking a massive cut out of each tiny little transaction so it's micro payments without the macro fees which makes it physically possible to give small amounts efficiently. Because if you give a $1 donation through PayPal, I get $0.54 cent of that $1. And PayPal get 40 Sorry, 50 I get 56 and PayPal get 44 If you give $10, I get $9 and a bit. And PayPal get less than a dollar. So obviously, PayPal is great. The bigger the sum of money the better, the more efficient PayPal is. And small sums of money, PayPal is disastrously inefficient. And that's why Patreon came into being, and that's why Patreon is so fantastic, because it lets people pay small amounts to make a genuine contribution to the podcasts and artists they support. So it's not just for podcasters, it's for everything. Anyway, the link to Patreon allows you to pledge support to this show, and that's how it works, and that's why it's so magical. There's also a PayPal button, which again, very straightforward and very simple, but... Beware that if you'd like to give a small amount, it's better to, you know, wait a while and make one bigger donation. I'd say if you're going to give less than $5, I'd say probably don't bother because you're actually giving money to PayPal. And not very little of it actually makes its way through, which is really annoying, but that's that's just the reality of life. Uh, you can also support the show through sort of affiliate-like things. So one of them is a Zazzle store where you can buy some merchandise. That means that you're wandering around as a walking advertisement. I can highly recommend the insulated mugs, by the way. I drink out of one every day. They're high quality stainless steel, and they keep your coffee or your tea nice and warm. Uh, and then there is affiliate links for Hover, which is domain registration, and DigitalOcean, which is virtual server hosting. Uh, those last two are only useful if you have a genuine need of either of those two services because they basically work off of commission when you actually buy something. So just clicking on the links doesn't help in any way, shape, or form. It's only if you're actually going to purchase something from those companies that those affiliate codes are useful. But they are useful um, if you need those kind of things. However, it's really not all about money. Money is important, right? At the end of the day, food needs to go onto plates and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but equally as important, really, in some ways, is simply getting the word out. There are a lot of podcasts on planet Earth, and unless you share, the, unless the listeners share the news, a podcast would not tend to get discovered or tend not to get discovered. So simply telling people about the podcast, tweeting about the podcast, reviewing the podcast on iTunes or whatever service you use, 
all of that is extremely helpful because it helps get the podcast out there. So if all you do is just mention to someone that you enjoyed the show, that is supporting the show and that is very, very much appreciated. Anyway, I think I've rambled on long enough. You will find the show notes and the ways of supporting the show over at lets-talk.ie. I'll be back with you uh, probably in about two weeks' time with a special show that, as I say, is going to be great fun to record and hopefully great fun for you guys to listen to. Uh, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. 